This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't you understand? It doesn't have to be like this. You have to help. It's gotten out of control. It's too big. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the broadcast, friends, for... September 11th, 2011. Ten years ago, of course, it was this morning, 8.46 a.m. We are told five hijackers crashed American Airlines Flight 11 into the World Trade Center, the North Tower. And at 9.03, another five hijackers, we are told crashed United Airlines Flight 175 into the South Tower, and on and on it went. Another five hijackers. This time American Airlines Flight 77 slammed into the Pentagon, 9.37 a.m., and a fourth flight, United Airlines 93. Four hijackers in control this time, eventually crashed near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, at uh, 10.03, after we are told the passengers fought the hijackers. We will uh, dedicate the uh, entire two hours, of course, to commemorating the 10th anniversary. Uh, Jim Mars will be along shortly, in just a few moments. Uh, He has, in time for the uh, 10th anniversary, a revised edition of his uh, book, which we'll tell you about uh, shortly, how to get a hold of that. The Terror Conspiracy, Deception 9-11, and the Loss of Liberty. And there's some new uh, tidbits and information in there. Uh, Since it was originally published, Jim Mars, of course, uh, many of you will be aware, was the author of Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy. That's the, the book that Oliver Stone based his JFK movie on, and Mars served as a, a chief consultant for uh, for both the film's screenplay and the production. And it's always a pleasure having Jim on the show. Very knowledgeable, learned uh, individual. And he's, he's one of those uh, guys in this field, whatever that means, this field, uh, that you can't ignore. Not even the mainstream media ignores Jim Mars. And he's a perennial New York Times bestseller. Uh, so obviously, 
he is, he is resonating with a large uh, portion of the population. And you can get on, on board with, uh, with Jim over the next hour or so if you'd like to talk to, uh, to him or, or me or just weigh in on your, your thoughts about uh, 9-11, the 10th anniversary. We'll make the phone lines available to you, 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere. Thunder Bay down to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota, all points in between, one 866 740 Four seven forty, and uh, before we weigh into this, uh, let me just remind you: the website richardserrett.com still up and running and available to you. That's your portal into the program here on the radio. All the upcoming show information is there, and so forth. the The TV show, The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Serrett, debuts September twenty eighth on Vision TV at eleven p.m. Eastern, and will run every weeknight. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of that week, and then the following Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, again, 11 p.m. Eastern. For the full hour, you get a a brand new episode from Season 2, and then that's followed by an old chestnut from Season 1. And that that series will run for the duration until all 18 episodes um, have aired. And uh, so you want to you want to you want to make sure that you're uh, glued in front of the set starting the 28th because after that run I don't know when you'll see those again. That's just the way that they they, they play them on Vision TV. So check your local listings uh, for where you can get Vision depending on your cable provider. Uh, and, and speaking of which, we just this hour wrapped filming of season two just down the hall in um, the beautiful uh, FM studio here at 550 Queen Street East in Toronto. Did our final interviews for uh, season two, and now our editing team gets uh, very busy and working around the clock uh, in order to get that program delivered to you on time. Wow, what a whirlwind that was, but we we did it. We did it, thanks to uh, Jalal Murray and uh, crew and family and so forth. All right, listen, we'll uh, take a time out. When we come back, Jim Mars, author of The Terror Conspiracy, Deception, 9-11 and the loss of liberty and you too of course can weigh in with your thoughts comments questions here as the conspiracy show gets rolling on this the 10th anniversary of 9-11 back with more stay with us this just in you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there that is the world trade center and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story, obviously calling our sources and trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something relatively devastating happening this morning there. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. You can see these pictures, it's obviously uh, something devastating has happened. And again, unconfirmed report that a plane has crashed into one of the towers there. We are efforting more information on this subject as it becomes available to you. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Many, many questions still linger, obviously, 10 years after the 9-11 attacks. In the terror conspiracy revisited, 
perhaps the world's leading conspiracy writer, uh, updates us on uh, his authoritative dissection of the official story of 9-11. And uh, he's come out with a revised edition, which is just jam-packed with explosive new material, including uh, the revelations of former New Jersey Attorney General John Farmer, who served as senior counsel to the 9-11 Commission. And he said, at some level of the government, at some point in time, there was an agreement not to tell the truth about what happened. That comes from senior counsel to the 9-11 Commission. Commission co-chairman Thomas Keene's suspicions of deceit. He said, we to this day don't know why NORAD told us what they told us. It was just so far from the truth. Pilots for 9-11 Truth's findings that Flight 77, that's the plane that slammed into the Pentagon, supposedly. Flight 77's flight deck door was never opened during flight. And their conclusion was that hijackers could not have accessed the cockpit. That's probably new information to many of you. And that comes to us uh, courtesy of Jim Mars, a native of Fort Worth, Texas, earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism from the University of North Texas in 1966 and attended graduate school at Texas Tech in Lubbock for two years more. He has worked for several Texas newspapers, including the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, where beginning in 68, he served as a police reporter and general assignments reporter, covering stories locally in Europe and in the Middle East after a leave of absence to serve with a 4th Army intelligence unit. During the Vietnam War, he became military and aerospace writer for the newspaper and an investigative reporter. Since 1980, uh, Jim has uh, been a freelance writer, author, and public relations consultant. He's published a rural... New, uh, weekly newspaper along with his monthly uh, tourism tabloid, a cable television show, several videos, and, uh, of course, the author of Crossfire, the, pi- the, the plot that killed Kennedy, Alien Agenda, uh, The War on Freedom, Rule by Secrecy, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Above Top, top Secret, and, uh, as I say, the aforementioned revised edition, now available, The Terror Conspiracy, Deception 9-11, and The Loss of Liberty. Jim Mars, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, Richard. It's always good to be with you. Pardon me if my voice is a little scratchy. It's uh, hay fever time. I uh, found out years ago one of my biggest allergens is ragweed, and I just happen to live in uh, right in the middle of acres and acres and acres of ragweed, so nothing much I can do about it. Well, that's all right, Jim. Uh, you, and you wear a lot of hats, and you're never without a hat. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna, I've always wanted to ask you this. Uh, you know, there's... There's one one person I know that is legally allowed to wear his fedora on his passport photo, and that's the sports writer Bert Sugar. Are you? Can you wear? Do you have to take your hat off for your driver's license? Because it's such a part of you. Oh yeah, you know the TSA makes me take my hat off along with my shoes and my belt and my jackets and soon to be underwear, I suppose. Uh, no doubt. <clears throat> Jim, uh, first of all, uh, thank you again for inviting um, um, me and the TV crew into your uh, your lovely home down there in Texas. It was great to to, to have to finally uh, uh, got to see the ranchito. Yes, it's quite <laughs> it's a place. A small ranch. <laughs> the beautiful, beautiful home, Jim. The uh, the the the, uh, the revised edition, the terror conspiracy. Uh, what's before we get into that? Let me ask you, what would you say are the top three nagging questions you still have about any aspect of uh, the official version of the nine eleven attacks? Well, Richard, let's make that the top 300 <laughs> questions <laughs> right. that, that have not been answered. But before we get into that, let's, let's just back off, because I'm sure everyone has been thoroughly inundated the last few days and today with all of the uh, celebratory uh, reminiscences of 9-11, all the official stuff, you know, we're, and, of course, uh, lots of emphasis on uh, 
on the first responders, although I found it very interesting that uh, during the big 9-11 ceremonies in New York, the firefighters were disinvited. They had to go somewhere else. Uh, and, and, of course, the people who questioned 9-11, they, they weren't allowed anywhere even close. So we're getting a very one-sided view, as we have all along. But let me just put, put the whole thing in a broader perspective, because I lived through all this. For about 15 years after the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, it was considered impolite to even talk about that in decent company. You just, you just didn't talk. And that was right up there with religion and politics. You just didn't discuss that. And we're going through and have, over the past 10 years, a very similar situation. Uh, we were just expected not to really talk about it and, uh, you know, because we didn't want to upset anyone. Well, excuse me, I think everyone was upset. In fact, the whole country was traumatized, essentially. And um, I think it's imperative that we find out what really happened. Uh, I noticed you read that quote from John Farmer. Um, let, let me read you one, one other uh, of his quotes. He said, quote, in the course of our investigation into the national response to the attacks, the 9-11 Commission staff discovered that the official version of what had occurred that morning, that is, what government military officials had told the Congress, the Commission, the media, and the public about who knew what and when, was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. Untrue, Richard. So I really wanted to point that out because... Excuse me, if their own senior counsel and if members of the 9-11 Commission staff themselves, including the, the one who resigned because Bush offered him a, a cushy assignment with the International Monetary Fund, uh, and of course that was Max Cleland, um, he, he said before leaving the 9-11 uh, uh, Commission, he said, it's a national scandal. He says, one of these days we'll have to get the full story because the 9-11 issue is so important to America, but this White House wants to cover it up. Whoa, now we're not talking conspiracy theorists here. We're talking about officials who were in charge of trying to investigate uh, the, uh, one of the largest loss of life, uh, certainly the largest loss of firemen in any one event, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest terrorist attack on the United States. And again, to put it in perspective, that uh, within uh, the very day after Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese in 1941, uh, Congress uh, set up a commission to try to find out what had happened. Within a week of the Kennedy assassination, President Johnson had created his ill-fated Warren Commission, uh, and they were supposed to look and see what happened. Almost two years after 9-11, we still hadn't had any formal investigation of the event because President Bush and his handler, Dick Cheney, kept dragging their feet. And finally, it was only because of pressure from the families of the victims that they finally conceded to creating the 9-11 uh, Commission, which originally Bush funded for $3 million. Now, that sounds like a, a lot to you and me and most people listening, but in the context of Washington, D.C., $3 million is just a drop in the bucket. They probably spent that on the Warren Commission in 64-66. Yeah, or, 
no, they spent more than that on the Warren Commission. In fact, the 9-11 Commission uh, finally griped and said, look, we, we can't investigate anything for a paltry $3 million. So Bush finally grudgingly upped the ante by another $10 million. So after all was said and done, they had $13 million spent to investigate the largest attack in American history. Um, now, to put that in perspective, in 2004, the Republican National Committee uh, announced that they had spent, counting over time for law enforcement, security people, $60 million on George W. Bush's inauguration festivities for parties. My word. Four times more for George Bush's parties than was spent to find out what happened to 3,000 American citizens. Uh, is that incredible or what? It's, and yet, it's outrageous is what it is. This, they say, well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm a conspiracy factualist. I'm trying to tell you what's going on. Well, you know, the old saying, a conspiracy isn't always a theory. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's a crime, and, and that's what we're investigating. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's all a conspiracy. It just depends on which conspiracy you believe. Exactly. The, the one now, orchestrated. Let me tell you something. As one yeah. who has been tagged as a conspiracy theorist, uh, the worst conspiracy theory that I have ever heard in my whole life is the one that states that 19 crazed Muslim fanatics uh, from Saudi Arabia primarily, uh, were able to hijack four airplanes simultaneously, turning off their transponders at virtually the same time, uh, and then unerringly uh, bypassing our $400 million, uh, $40 billion defense system, and then unerringly crashing them into these uh, three buildings, uh, you know, and all the while under the leadership of a Muslim cleric using a laptop computer in a cave in Afghanistan. That's the most ridiculous theory I've ever heard in my life, and yet that is what Americans have been expected to believe. Uh, it's incredible. And I've got to add this, Richard, speaking of conspiracy theories, uh, if you can prove something, it's no longer a theory, is it? No, no, it's not. And as I said, if the senior counsel of the 9-11 Commission, the official commission, said that the story that uh, we were given is almost entirely and inexplicably untrue, then what is unpatriotic or uh, to try to find out the truth? Yeah, the, 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 the people that don't want you to talk about it, they'll use words like scurrilous uh, uh -huh. and, and uh, unpatriotic and, and uh, things like that, which is to me is, is really shameful. Uh, I think and it's the always... patriotic people are the people who say, hey, shut up and just, you know, uh, take what we give you. Exactly. All right, uh, Jim, take a time out. We'll come back. People are already lining up. They want, uh, they want to talk to you. They want to talk about 9-11, and we'll do just that. Here on The Conspiracy Show, Jim Mars, as we commemorate the 10th anniversary of 9-11 and his new book, revised edition of The Terror Conspiracy, Deception 9-11, and The Loss of Liberty. The Loss of Liberty, as we'll see, may be, in fact, what this was all about. The creation of a totalitarian state. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. I, I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly lower than normal altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but it hit directly in the middle of 
uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. Sean, what kind of plane? Was it a small plane, a, a it jet? Was a, uh, it was a jet. It uh, looked like a two-engine jet, um, maybe a 737. You're talking about a large passenger commercial large jet. large passenger commercial jet. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Did it appear that the plane was having any difficulty flying? Yes, it did. It was teetering uh, back and forth, wingtip to wingtip. And it looks like it has crashed into probably 20 stories from the top of the World Trade Center, maybe the 80th to 85th floor. There's smoke billowing out of the uh, World Trade Center. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Jim Mars is with us, author of The Terror Conspiracy, Deception 9-11 and the Loss of Liberty. Uh, Jim, I um, I spoke with uh, Eric Law, who is the head of firefighters for 9-11 Truth up in Seattle uh, back earlier this year. And I asked him, you know, if you look at the, uh, the, the members that have signed on, uh, firefighters, and I said, why aren't there many New York City firefighters on the list? And he said, you know, they'll tell you privately, some of them, uh, that they are, you know, that they believe it was, there were explosives inside the building and so forth. But it's, it's such a close-knit society. Uh, it's, I don't want to use the word cult. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. But you just cannot exist alongside your colleagues uh, um, and, and uh, in, in New York in the fire, to, fire service there and openly admit you think there was a controlled demolition. What do you, have you talked to firefighters in New York? What do they tell you? Uh, unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to go up and spend a lot of time in New York, but I did have some friends who worked at a bar in New York that was frequented by many of the firefighters. And actually, it goes, it's worse than what you said, Richard. The main thing is, is they were threatened. Their pensions were threatened. Their jobs were threatened. They were told, if you say anything publicly, you're going to be out of a job and you're going to lose your pension. Now, that pretty well keeps a lot of people quiet. And, of course, then, as you said, and it's very, very true, because this is pretty much true in any fire department. They are they depend on each other. They have to watch each other's back. The guy next to you might you know, mean the difference between whether you live or die. And uh, having been a police and fire reporter for years, it is a very close-knit group, and they're basically comrades in arms, and they are loath to come out and try to say something that might contradict what their superior said or what their um, compadres said. And so that's played a big part, but mostly it was the threat to the jobs and to the pensions. Now, the, um, there are about 300 and, I think 343 uh, New York firefighters that, that died on 9-11. But the ones that, that reached the crash zone on the 78th floor, we are told, you know, now when we hear the, the, um, the, the radio uh, conversations, the two-way radio conversations, the firefighters that reached the 78th floor were saying that there were, you know, there were two pockets of fire, and they judged those blazes to be manageable. Yes. They said two lines ought to bring them down. In other words, two hoses, and they should be able to take care of the fire. Uh, they And they said this in very calm, matter-of-fact manner. They weren't screaming or hollering. Uh, and again, you have to understand, 
how we came into possession of those transcripts of those radio broadcasts. The uh, Rudy Giuliani and the city of New York grabbed everything and said, no, you can't hear any of this, okay? And so they thought they had it all bottled up. What they didn't realize was that the Port Authority had also been monitoring and recording those transmissions. And about a year or so after 9-11, an FOI suit was filed, and they managed to get the transcripts out of the Port Authority. That's the only reason that we know uh, what was actually said. Uh, And, of course, all over the Internet, you can go to YouTube and you can find some of the uh, clips, film clips, of the New York firemen. And they're very graphically talking about multiple explosions, boom, 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 as the uh, buildings came down. Uh, Again, I can remember from that very day that uh, Mayor Giuliani uh, was interviewed and he was coming down a street uh, after both towers had fallen he was covered with dust, and they had a microphone at his face, and he was re- telling his experience. And he said, yes, uh, we had been at a temporary emergency headquarters. Uh, he said when a young man came in and said, the buildings are coming down, you have to evacuate. And he said we were in the process of evacuating uh, when the first uh, building, the South Tower, came down. Well, I've always wanted to know who was the young man, how did he know the buildings were coming down, and uh, why did he warn Mayor Giuliani and his people, but nobody seemed to be able to warn the firemen that were in the building. Yes, that was... And you uh, may recall, this made the big splash on the Internet just a few years ago, I think it was in Florida, when uh, um, one of the officials was there, and a college kid tried to ask that same question, and they tased him <laughs> and dragged him out. I remember that. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro. Remember that one? Absolutely unbelievable uh, when that happened. Um, That's what you get when you simply try to question authority in this country. Yes, yes. Uh, Richard Gage uh, was in town um, the other day presenting his uh, new documentary film, Explosive Evidence. Experts uh, speak out. Richard, of course, the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11. Uh, have you sort of decided one way or the other in terms of uh, what brought the towers down? Was it controlled demolition? Was it uh, nanothermite? Or are you on the fence? Or does it... I mean, I, part of me thinks that we're all wrapped up in the forensics. And, and believe me, I think Richard is doing fantastic work. Absolutely. But I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the, in the forensics that part of me thinks that that's almost what they, you know, whoever is responsible for, for this, want us to do, to get that's, lost in the forensics. That's exactly right. And it's nothing new. This is a tried and tested mythology. Uh, in the wake of the Kennedy assassination, they managed to get the uh, research community fighting and squabbling with each other over, was there four shots, was there five shots? Did they come from the Knoll? Did they come from the Daltex building? And they're doing the same thing with 9-11. Was it thermite? Was it thermate? Was it nanotechnology? Was it particle beam weapons? Was it a small new nuclear device? Okay, hey, wait a minute. Let's have an honest investigation, and maybe we can find that out. But in the meantime, everyone who's looked seriously at the issue and is not part of, of the government uh, agrees that it was controlled demolitions, certainly Building 7. Building 7, a 47-story steel and glass, modern 
office building, which just happened to house offices of the CIA, the FBI, and even more importantly, the Security and Exchange Commission. Uh, and uh, it was not hit by an airplane, suffered a few desultory fires, and at about 525 on the afternoon of 9-11, the whole thing dropped almost free fall into its own footprints, barely damaging the uh, Verizon building and the U.S. Post Office to either side of it a classic building implosion and the security exchange commission has now admitted that they lost thousands of their prosecution files for enron world.com and some of these other corporate malfeasance uh i, I want to talk uh, you know we'll come back uh, to uh the towers because uh, you know the callers will uh, will we'll have questions about that and we'll sort of follow their lead to a certain extent but i want to talk about uh, the Pentagon, because when you and I met down in uh, in your home in Texas, uh, we, we talked to you about that specifically for an upcoming TV episode. And there's something that uh, that you point out in your book, The Terror Conspiracy, that I wasn't aware of, and that is that pilots for 9-11 Truth, what are they saying about Flight 77's flight deck door? Okay, uh, after filing some Freedom of Information suits, they were able to get some of the flight data uh, out of the FAA, and uh, one of the uh, one of the sections involved uh, the flight deck door. All right, now it had a sensor on it so that if the door is opened, uh, then it records it on the flight data. And what that showed was that the flight deck door on flight 77 was never opened during that flight. So in other words, nobody got into the cockpit, nobody got out of the cockpit. Uh, and so it really uh, raises a huge question mark about, well, then how did Hani Hanjor get to the controls of that plane, if indeed he was at the controls? This is the same Hani Hanjor who just uh, several weeks before had tried to rent a Cessna private single-engine craft, and they wouldn't let him rent it because he couldn't show that he had enough proficiency to even fly a Cessna. And th so then you have to picture a guy who can't even fly a Cessna, and we, if you assume that he did somehow get at the controls of this 757, then he's got this huge, massive array of instrumentation in front of him. He's thousands of feet in the air. He can't even see Washington with his eye. How does he unerringly fly to Washington and make a 180-degree diving loop, level out at treetop level, throw the throttles at full blast going 550 miles an hour, and then slam into the west wall of the Pentagon? It's just no pilot that I've talked to uh, seems to think that that's possible at all. The other interesting thing that, uh, that you pointed out is when you attempt to fly, a 757, that low to the ground, there's something that's a, a very interesting effect that happens underneath the plane. That's right. It's called the air cushion. What happens? Well, when you are pushing air in front of the aircraft, and when you have an aircraft the size of the 757, which is, has a 125-foot wingspan, 44-foot high tail, that's four stories high, and you've got these two giant jet engines on either wing, that weigh more than two tons each with titanium steel blades, uh, it pushes a cushion of air in front of that airplane. This is why airplanes have to slow down to land. If you have a big aircraft, 
you cannot possibly get that close to the ground uh, flying that type of aircraft. How, how low was it to the ground? What's the estimation if, if it was... Uh... Well, if you look at the hole in the Pentagon, uh, before the wall collapse, see, that's the problem. Everyone has mostly seen the photographs that have been plastered all over the place that show that big gaping V-shape hole in the wall of the Pentagon, but that was after the wall collapsed, uh, some almost an hour after the event. Um, if you look at the actual hole, it was no more than 20 foot wide and about 10 to 12 foot high. How, how, do, how do you get an airplane that size in that little bitty hole, and the hole is on ground level? Uh, some of the windows in the second, third floors are still intact. The glass is still in the windows. Uh, it's just it's just patently ridiculous. And that, that brings up another thing. These two huge jet engines weighing two tons each are attached to the body of the airplane, which is essentially an aluminum beer can because in flight, weight is everything. So uh, an airplane is basically just a, a aluminum around a frame. And... Uh, if you come slamming into the wall of the Pentagon with this Boeing 757, one of two things could have or should have happened. The most probable is is that those jet engines would have separated from the plane and been knocked off and would have been lying in front of the Pentagon uh, without having penetrated that concrete steel-reinforced wall. But that didn't happen. So... The only other alternative is that, okay, considering that they had a lot of velocity and momentum behind them, perhaps they would have punched two gigantic circular holes in the side of the Pentagon. But that didn't happen either. So we're left with a real conundrum as to what actually happened at the Pentagon. And I'm not going to try to tell anybody what happened because I wasn't there, I did not participate, and I don't know. All I know for absolutely sh sure having been an uh, award-winning aerospace aviation writer, is that a Boeing 757 did not hit that wall. All right, let's uh, go to the phones, and first up is Fred in Whitby, Ontario. Hello, Fred. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, hi, how are you doing? Well. Uh, my question is, uh, they, they say the airplanes took down the uh, towers. Um my understanding is those buildings are designed so they will take a hit from an airplane, plus fire, plus earthquake. And uh, so to me, it seems like the buildings weren't, uh, uh, they were faulty. And my question is, was anybody sued over faulty workmanship in the buildings so they, they didn't take the hit? Uh, no. To answer your question simply, no, nobody's been sued because of the design of the building. And that's because the powers that be do not want suits. They do not want anyone looking at how those buildings were constructed. Those two twin towers had 47 steel columns right in the middle of the building. And if you might think back early on, we were told that, well, they were riveted together, and when the plane hit, it just put such stress on them that all the rivets popped out, and, and we had an unzippering, a zippering effect, and it all just went pop, 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 and the whole thing fell down. Well, you don't hear that anymore because they were then uh, reminded that those columns were welded together, not riveted. And so uh, if indeed for some reason those floors uh, would have come down on each other, uh, 
you would it would be like records falling down on a one of the old record players and that spindle in the middle representing the 47 steel girders would have still been standing upright but no they went away too in fact they were twisted bent all around like a pretzel uh, and i assure you that uh, jet fuel which is basically naphtha kerosene with a few chemicals added uh, to make it better fuel um it, it does not reach the temperatures that would have melted and bent huge steel girders. All right, Fred. Again, we're left with uh, building uh, implosion, controlled demolition. Fred, thanks for the call. One of the things that uh, often comes up uh, from the skeptics uh, or those who believe in the official version is that the amount of explosives and the wiring, if that was a controlled demolition, I mean, no one has ever tried to, to, to bring down a 100-story building by controlled demolition. The amount of wiring and so forth would have been unimaginable. Uh, how do you think they did it? Okay. Well, for one thing, they have recently found these uh, surveillance tapes that showed uh, in the weeks preceding uh, 9-11 there were unidentified trucks moving in late at night after the janitorial staff went away, moving into the buildings and leaving the buildings. The people, tenants in the building early on said that uh, for a few weeks before 9-11, they had been uh, uh, reportedly working on the elevators, and they had cut the security systems, cut the electricity, and so there were periods of time when the electricity was off, the normal security systems were not functioning, not that it really made any difference because the company in charge of security for the World Trade Center was a company called Securicom, and at that time the chief executive uh, was Wirt Walker III, as in George Herbert Walker Bush, a cousin of the Bushes, and Marvin Bush, the younger brother of George, sat on their board of directors. So effectively, the Bush family had control, and their relatives had control of the security. Uh, so, and also, if you consider that instead of using the old uh, wires, you know, this this is World War II technology, where you run up and you stick the plastique on a wall, put your detonator in, run the wire back out. Got a whole spool of wire. You got to run way back with that. Attach it to a, a little generator, you know, and you crank it up, and then you shoot some juice down through there and it'll go off. That's old technology. Today it can all be done with radio controls. You just put the, you, you've seen the, you've seen the uh, spy movie uh, where they just stick the thing on the wall, stick a little remote control detonator box on it and then they go several blocks down the street and uh, pick up their cell phone or a or a little radio control device and send a signal and it blows up. Right, right. You don't need to have all that wiring. All right. Next up is Nancy in Toronto. Good evening, Nancy. Good evening, and thank you, Mr. Marr, for your courageous work. Um, Mr. Marr, can you comment, why are we not moving on? Our, this is like the 10-year, I don't even like the word commemorative. Um, it was 10 years ago. Um, why are we being mind-blitzed, mind-programmed with a constant replay of this incident um, now, 10 years later? Well, uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, because uh, they want to just hammer the yes. official version into everybody's head. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, that goes back to Adolf Hitler, you know, who wrote Mein Kampf and said, if you tell a big lie and tell it often enough, people will start to believe it. 
<laughs> and that's what's happening here. The second reason is is because they still have to ratchet up the fear factor, keep everybody <laughs> fearful and off balance so that they will just yield to authority. And, uh, in fact, if you noticed here just to the run-up of today, uh, the government was saying uh, we have very definite but unconfirmed reports yeah. that they're going to try something else on 9-11 and just got everybody all in a dither and everybody's so worried about what might be going to happen. It's really incredible. And to put that into context, think about World War II when Canada, America, Britain was truly threatened by the Nazis on the one hand and by militant Japanese uh, military officers on the other and there really was a genuine threat of perhaps invasion of these countries. And yet the American president, Franklin Roosevelt, on a national radio broadcast said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Wonderful. Thank you so down. much. Let's get the job done. And, and Mr. Marv, one more uh, question. Um, do you think that Obama and our Prime Minister Harper really truly like how does this happen Do they meet and they're told the official versions of events and then they say yeah that sounds good like how do you think they really believe it no have they been offered no, another perspective you, and can i email uh prime minister harper and and reference yourself to him yeah sure don't expect a reply <laughs> <laughs> but uh you got it half right uh, i think both uh, harper and obama are told, here's the story, okay? But now, whether they believe it or not is immaterial, because once they get their marching orders, it's, here's the official story, this is what you will say. And so they stick to the script, because they realize that there are powerful and violent forces in this world that would come down on their head if they don't. All right, uh, we'll take Russ and Buffalo before we break. Russ, uh, good evening. You're on with Jim Mars. Hello, Mr. Saren. I love your show. Thank you. Frequent listener. And, Mr. Myers, I am one of your biggest fans on the planet. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I, I have read, I think, four of your books, and I'm going to hop on this one here and get it. And uh, I've been reading this stuff since Gary Allen wrote an under called Conspiracy in 1975. Uh-huh. And um, my personal opinion on uh, this thing in New York I mean, in 1999, they took down the national debt off the in Times Square there. You know, right. it's a blink up there, the national debt. Well, in 1999, the national debt was paid off. Right. We had a surplus. And that's right. And two years later, here we are. Now we're what? And, I 14, mean, 15 trillion dollars in debt. Well, that that's just, uh, just, just the current debt. The, the true debt is trillions higher than that. That's true. That's true. That's is, just what they admit to. Yeah, this is just what they rack up in the last 10 years. And uh, so basically, I mean, I'm not going to, because I'm on a cell phone here, I'm not going to uh, implicate anything, right? But basically, the United States is, you know, among many of these other nations today, is virtually bankrupt, has no money of its own anymore. Uh, well, we're not and, virtually uh, bankrupt. We are bankrupt. Exactly. Uh, you know, if you'll accept the official figure, we're like $14 trillion in debt. And as you said, it's actually much higher than that. And then it's been estimated if every man, woman, and child in the United States was to sell off 
all of their possessions, their home, their car, their TV, their clothes, everything they've got, uh, we couldn't come up with but about nine, maybe ten trillion dollars. So we owe more than we have. That's broke. So, Jim, what would be the connection between the the uh, the debt and uh, the nine eleven attacks? Ah, well, now you get to the money aspect of it. Richard, have we got time to go through the money, or do you need to take a break? Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll follow the money with Jim Mars, author of The Terror Conspiracy, Deception 9-11 and the Loss of Liberty, here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Did you see any smoke, any flames coming out of the engines of that plane? No, I did not. The, the plane just uh, was... was uh, Coming in low, and the t- wingtips tilted back and forth, and then it, it flattened out. It looks like it's uh, hit at a slight angle into the World Trade Center. I can see, I can see flames now coming out the side of the building, and smoke continues to billow. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Generally, is that a traffic area in New York for, for aircraft? It is not a normal uh, uh, flight pattern. I'm a frequent fl- uh, traveler between Atlanta and New York for business, and it is not a normal flight pattern to come directly over Manhattan. Usually they come up either over the, the Hudson River heading north and, and pass alongside the island of Manhattan, or if they're taking off from LaGuardia, they usually take off uh, over Shea Stadium and, 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 and take off gain altitude around the island of Manhattan. It's rare that you have a jet crossing directly over um, the island of Manhattan. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Jim Mars stays with us. Uh, Jim, I do want to get to the money question, but before we do that, let me grab a call here. It's uh, Barry calling in from Osaka, Japan. Barry, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, good evening, Richard. Good evening, Jim. How are you? Howdy. Yeah, fine. Great to talk to you, Jim. I know you really do your homework. I'll just make my question quick. Do you think it's possible that the American government found out about the 9-11 plot and chose to turn a blind eye on it? thus giving them a free ticket to do whatever they wanted after this, with all the fear-mongering that went on. Well, that's a very good question, Barry, and actually that comes down to the two basic theories of 9-11, which is they they let it happen uh, or they caused it to happen. Um, And uh, we don't have a definitive answer on that, but it's obvious that uh, if you'll read my book, The Terror Conspiracy, uh, revisited, you'll find that more than a dozen nations, including the Taliban in Afghanistan and including Fidel Castro, had tried to warn us that we were about to be attacked. And both in the Clinton administration and the pre-9-11 Bush administration, not only was nothing done, but there were actually actions taken to block any meaningful investigation. So. Uh, I think that the case for that they allowed it to happen is really quite strong, and that's the best light that you can put on it. Of course, that raises the question, whoa, 
Would, would American leaders allow deadly attacks on their fellow Americans? And uh, I can answer that in two words, Pearl Harbor. Okay, it is now beyond question that uh, in the days preceding the attack on Pearl Harbor that President Roosevelt and his chief of staff, George Marshall, and maybe a handful of others knew that Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked, when, where, the whole thing, and they allowed it to happen because they wanted to get a aroused, galvanized, uh, united American public into World War II. Now, I'm not even going to argue the merits of that. Perhaps that was a necessary action. I'm simply saying it is now well documented that they knew Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked and they allowed it to happen. So now you have to go back a year before 9-11 to September of 2000 when the neocon think tank Project for a New American Century published a position paper saying that we should increase the U.S. military presence in the Middle East to gain control over the oil supplies and that we needed to curtail freedom at home. It was just there was a little bit too much freedom going on. Uh, but that all of this would be a very hard sell to the public unless there was, quote, a catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor, end quote. And a year later, they got just that. All right, uh, Barry, thank you for that from Osaka, Japan. Uh, okay, so we, we follow the money. Uh, a previous caller, Russ in Buffalo, uh, was wondering about the connection between the debt uh, and the attacks in 9-11. Well, uh, as uh, um, I, get, I think it was... Uh, Barry pointed out that uh, uh, before the selection of 2000, uh, we had a budget surplus in the United States, and now, of course, we're deep, deep, deep in the hole. The money I wanted to talk about, though, was the money connected to the World Trade Centers. You see, up until July the 24th, 2001, just two months before the attacks, the World Trade Center, which had been built on Rockefeller property. In fact, early on, the two towers were referred to by New Yorkers as the David and the Nelson, uh, had been the property of the New York Port Authority. Uh, They had a problem, though. These buildings were 30 years old. They were starting to deteriorate. They had never been really full and had never been real profitable. And uh, they had quietly tried to see uh, if it would have been feasible to uh, refurnish them, refurbish them, renovate them. But you can imagine the cost of uh, putting up 110 stories of scaffolding. And they found out it was not cost-effective to do that. Well, then they talked about the possibility of tearing them down. But then that got scotched because they found out they were half-filled with asbestos. And by this time, they knew the city would never allow them to tear it down and, and loose that asbestos into the air there in lower Manhattan. So I simply ask you, what does the mafia do when they have a building that they can't rent, they can't, it's not profitable, and they can't tear it down, and they can't uh, renovate it, they torch it for the insurance. So just uh, less than two months before 9-11, Larry Silverstein and Wakefield Properties uh, purchased a 99-year lease on the two Trade Center towers for $3.2 billion dollars. But they didn't have to put up that money right away. All they put up was about $125 million, either as a down payment or as rent. And so they got $125 million invested in it. Now, the next thing that uh, Larry Silverstein does 
is uh, hire a company called Securicom to provide security for the World Trade Center. And I've already mentioned how Securicom was under the control of the Bush family, along with Douglas Airport, Dulles Airport, and United Airlines, two other uh, companies connected to 9-11. Um, and then, of course, then he turns and gets insurance and demands and receives a codicil that says uh, that they will pay off if there is a terrorist attack. Uh, well, I venture to say, just go see if you can get uh, insurance against a terrorist attack on your home. Uh, this was, and, but the key thing here is they didn't go with just some local insurance company. The insurance deals were through Swiss Re, some other Swiss companies, and Alliance, the giant German insurance corporation, which during World War II indemnified the Nazi government against damage to the concentration camps by unruly inmates. And so that shows you that at the level that that took place. Well, then two months later, you got two planes hit two of the buildings, and Larry Silverstein goes to court and said, well, that's two buildings, two planes. I want double indemnity. He was asking for like $16 billion. Well, they argued about it, fought in court, and he finally settled for $4.6 billion. That's B-boy. All right, $4.6 billion. That's for a $125 million investment for a little over a year. Now, of course, he didn't get to keep all that money because he had to share that with the mortgage holders. One of the largest mortgage holders on the World Trade Center was Blackstone Group, whose CEO, I'm sure by just some weird coincidence, was Peter G. Peterson, the chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations, one of those big secret societies that everybody's always talking about. So when you consider the people involved, Rockefeller Property, Peter G. Peterson of the Council on Foreign Relations, Swiss Re Alliance, and the people who own those giant global insurance companies who meet under the uh, aegis of the Bilderbergers once a year, you see at the level that the money that changed hands took place, and I think that may go far in explaining why we have not gotten the truth about 9-11 and may never. All right, Jim, uh, hold on. Back with more in a moment. More calls, more questions. 9-11, the 10th anniversary. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Did you see what happened, sir? Did you see what happened? What happened? Well, I was in the past train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out around, like, the 80th floor. Did, was it hit by something, or was it something it was inside? inside? It, it was, was inside. inside. Because it looked out. Everything was coming out. Everything all the coming. windows were coming out. All the papers were What coming. is on the sidewalk? I didn't see anything. Was there any people hurt, do you know? Um, I just ran, and everyone in the past train just ran. I don't know if anyone was hurt, but I assume they were because Don't of be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Next week on the program, Dr. Colin Ross talks about military mind control, a story of trauma and recovery. Another gentleman I met during my uh, travels in Texas, Dr. Colin Ross, although he's educated right up here in Canada. Right now, Jim Mars stays with us and has graciously agreed to stay until the bottom of the hour. That's 12.30, and uh, at that time, we'll open up the lines, and it'll just be be, uh, you, me, and the telephones, and we'll uh, continue to talk about uh, 9-11. But in the interim, many questions remain, and we'll get to one right now. Our good friend, media scientist, JFK assassination researcher in his own right, Nelson Thal, joins us. Nelson? Hey, Nelson. Hi, Hi. Richard. How are you tonight? I'm well, thank you, my friend. Yeah, um, welcome, Mr. Mars, to the program. Howdy. Um, got a question, really, Richard, for you to pass on to Bill? To Jim? I uh, mean, to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when it comes to 9 11, uh, as far as the mo- means, motive, and uh, opportunity, of course, the the means are, are are pretty evident if you understand the technologies and the power that they have and the opportunities are there since they own the city um, when it comes to motives ultimately how far back do you see the planning go for instance um, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of George Bush's New World Order speech which was on September 11th of 91 how far before, obviously they were planning 9-11-01, uh, at least as far back as 91, the same date. They obviously chose that date. Um, could you say something about how far do you think before that? Okay. 10, 12, 15 years it was in the planning. And, um, yeah, that would be, uh, what, what do you think, how far in advance was it planned? Good question. Pretty far back. If you've read my books, uh, Ruled by Secrecy or Rise of the Fourth Reich, I think you would know that uh, there's been a plan to basically destroy the sovereignty of the United States of America uh, going back for maybe a hundred years. And uh, the whole object is to bring it into a global socialist system uh, that, as you say, George Herbert Walker Bush described as the New World Order. But let's just go back to, say, 19, about 1975, uh, or 74-75. Um, Nixon went out. Gerald Ford became president. His chief of staff was Dick Cheney. His defense secretary was Donald Rumsfeld. And uh, the one thing that Nixon was universally praised for was opening up relations with China. Well, that wasn't lost on Nixon, and he was trying to make some reapproachments to uh, the Soviet Union at that time. But uh, that never went anywhere because of Watergate and because Cheney and Rumsfeld said, no, we can't end the Cold War because the Soviets have secret weapons of mass destruction hidden away. And the CIA said, well, how do you know that? We don't know that. And they said, well, we have our own sources of information. would have been nice if they had shared that. But as Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, as far back as 75, uh, made a proposal to try to increase U.S. military presence in the Middle East, get control over the oil supplies there. Um, 
and that didn't go anywhere. And then during the uh, George Herbert Walker Bush administration, uh, we've got, uh, again, the same guys, Cheney and Rumsfeld, uh, are putting out position papers asking the same thing. We need to have a regime change in Iraq. We need to have more military presence in the Middle East, get control of the oil supplies, and we need to throw the Taliban out and invade Afghanistan so we can put in the Unicol gas pipeline. Well, again, nobody paid much attention to them until 9-11. And so that plan goes back a long way. 9-11 gave them the pretext to push the agenda that they had tried to put in place as far back as 1974-75. All right, Nelson, great question. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned Cheney. Now, the uh, U.S., I think it was the deputy assistant uh, uh, for transportation, or it could have been the secretary, rather, I'm the secretary. Norman, Norman Mineta. Yeah, what did he secretary s- of transportation. He was secretary of transportation. Norman Mineta. He saw Dick Cheney. Where did he see, the, the morning of 9-11, where did he see him and what did he say he was doing? Well, he testified to the 9-11 commission that when he entered the, uh, the uh, headquarters there under the White House, that Dick Cheney was already there, which does not jive with the time frame as Dick Cheney has related it, but nevertheless, and he said that uh, a young man kept running in and he'd say, the plane's 50 miles out. And a few minutes later, he'd come back in, he'd say, the plane's 30 miles out. And then he came back in a little later, said, the plane's 20 miles out. He said, do the orders still stand? And Cheney, in a very uh, irritated voice, says, what makes you think the orders don't still stand? And the young man was properly chastised, and he goes out. And a few minutes later, the Pentagon is hit. Now, of course, the question we need to ask is, what were the orders? Uh, if the orders were to shoot down the aircraft, then why wasn't it shot down? Which leaves the very open question of then the orders must have been don't shoot down the aircraft. And I might mention that that whole conversation, though recorded and uh, given and deposed testimony before the 9-11 Commission, was not included in their report. Um, It's really incredible. But I have interviewed a uh, man who was in the uh, Central Command that morning, and he told me that uh, when they kept asking, where's the interceptors, that an Air Force colonel said Cheney had ordered a stand-down order. My word. The, well, the, the, the defense, again, the coming from the skeptics, that, uh, you know, here we have the Pentagon, the, the most defended building probably in the world. Right. With, got... By the way, Richard, with automated missile and anti-aircraft batteries. In other words, if you come into the Pentagon if in the air and you're not broadcasting a friendly transponder signal, they automatically open fire on you. How is come that they a fact? didn't go off in the morning of 9-11? I mean, that's a fact, is it? That's undisputed? Yes. I knew that long before 9-11. And, and then we have, again, going back to Minetta's testimony, which right. never made it into the commission, that, that they knew 50 miles out and right. 40 miles out and 30 right. miles out. See, this lends tremendous support to the idea that they allowed it all to happen. But then when you consider that uh, about 14 of the 19 named hijackers, of course, seven seven of those named have been found to be alive in the Middle East and had nothing to do with it. And that was reported widely in the European media. 
In fact, if a couple of those guys uh, said, hey, we didn't have anything to do with this. Why do you keep putting our name out there? And that was done at a press conference with the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia. That didn't get any reporting on here either. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't know. But, but 14 of them, none of them were from Iraq and none of them from Afghanistan. The, basically, the bulk of them were from Saudi Arabia. And then that leads to the story of Abu Zabidah. In the summer of 2002, Abu Zabidah was caught in Pakistan, and uh, Bush's White House secretary uh, made a big deal out of it and said, this is the highest-ranking al-Qaeda chief that we've caught, and we're going to make him talk. Well, they did. He was one of the first to get waterboarded and tortured by, uh, officially by the United States, you know, with, with, with full authority. Um, but it didn't work. But then, in an interesting uh, satellite, they brought in some uh, Arab-American Special Forces guys, and they disguised them as Saudi interrogators, and they flew Abu around for a while, told him they were taking him to Saudi Arabia. And I think the idea was it was going to put the fear in him because uh, he knew that in Saudi Arabia, you know, they, they, didn't, they wouldn't stop at anything at torturing him. And, uh, but when they showed up, and put him in the room, he was actually relieved, and he said, well, I'm glad you guys are here. Let me tell you what's going on. And he revealed that here's the top guy of al-Qaeda, and he was answering back to three Saudi princes and gave their names and their unlisted cell phone numbers, which checked out. And they, he said, but I wasn't in direct contact with them. I was, uh, there was a cutout man, Air Marshal Mir of Pakistan. That's where I was getting my marching orders. Once this information was made public here in the United States, all three of the Saudi princes and Air Marshal Mir died within a month or two. My word. So, you know, and then you have to ask yourself, well, now, wait a minute, who were the closest business and social friends to the Bush family? Uh, I mean, to the Saudis, royals and the Saudis, and that was the Bush family. And uh, to the summer of 2000. Uh, one, they had all, the Bush family was flown over to Saudi Arabia as guests of the Saudi royals and of the bin Laden family. In fact, there is good evidence to show that George W. Bush got his start in the oil business uh, of Bustow Energy out of Houston, Texas, with money from Salim bin Laden, Osama bin Laden's older brother, who also bought up several businesses and uh, had quite a presence in South Texas and uh, unfortunately got killed in a light plane, uh, a lighter uh, than uh, aircraft, one of those ultralights, hit some power poles, and he got killed. But so the Bushes were, and this was all reported in the Texas media, but never made it to the national media, and nobody's ever talked about that, the close business and social ties of the Bush family to the Saudis. Uh, Jerry is in Harrisburg. Uh, Jerry, good evening, or good morning, rather. Are you in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? Yes, yes, sir. All right, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with Jim Mars. Go ahead. Hey, uh, the, the reason I'm calling is, is, is uh, on, I had, well, I had a stroke, right? But, but I, but, but I'm not d- that dumb to know that Bush had something to do with it, and, uh, Giuliani, and and uh, uh, Cheney and uh, Rumsfeld, they they were all involved in it. And and the American media here in America, 
all, all on on the television, on cable TV. It's all all about about Bush, uh, about Bush, how good he was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, the pr- uh, the freedom of the press belongs to the guy that owns the press <laughs> or the TV network. All right, Jerry in Harrisburg, thank you for that call. Uh, but I, I, I don't necessarily believe that Bush knew. Do you? I, I don't particularly uh, totally believe that either. I think that's why they got him out of Washington, sent him down to Florida on a photo op, sitting there reading a book <laughs> upside down uh, to the uh, little kindergarten kids. Uh, but even that was strange because, uh, you know, not once but twice or more, Bush said that before he entered the school, he saw the first plane hit the North Tower. And he said he thought to himself, well, I'm a pilot. And he said, boy, that's a terrible pilot, and that's, that's a terrible thing there. He must have really made a miscalculation. Except, wait a minute, there were no broadcasts and there were no films of the first plane hitting the tower except for the French crew. And I don't think those photograph those films didn't turn up until the next day. I think two days later, in fact. Uh, two yeah. days later. So you know, what the heck was he talking about? And then we have the you know, now picture this: President of the United States, leader of the free world, is in a school in Florida. The Andrew Card comes in, whispers in ear, and says, "America is under attack." And he sits there for almost twenty minutes talking to the school kids. Calm, cool, and collected, and then slowly makes his way out of school, gets back in the cavalcade that he was in, and they traveled their uh, pre-announced route back to the airport where Air Force One takes off unescorted, no fighter escorts, nobody there to protect him. I mean, you know, this is, does not sound like the actions of uh, a commander-in-chief who's just learned his country's under attack. All right, we'll take uh, yet another time out, come back, and I want to talk to you about the war games and the war exercises that were going on uh, in the days leading up to and the very day of 9-11 and what role they may have had uh, in, I guess, giving uh, certain elements plausible deniability. Back with more of my conversation with Jim Mars. Stay with us. You say that emergency vehicles are there, understandably so, but of course the major concern is human loss. I mean, do you know if there were many people in the building? Oh, another one just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane just flew directly over my building, and there's been another collision. Can you see it? I can see it on the shot. Oh, my. Something else has just... We just saw a plane circling the building. It is in the other building. We just saw a plane circling the building. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. A second ago on the shot right before that. I think there may have been another impact. Can you tell? I just heard another very loud bang and a very large plane that might have been a... DC-9 or 747 just flew past my window, and I think it may have hit the Trade Center again. To be, to be honest, Elliot, I didn't, I didn't get the impression that it was that big a plane. It looked I, big from here. I did see a plane go by a second ago, though, and it, it, it has now impacted the building. I'm yeah. trying to see if it's the different tower. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 0740 
or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Jim Marr is author of The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, Deception 9-11 and the Loss of Liberty. He'll stay with us uh, for a few moments yet, and then at the bottom of the hour, 1230, the uh, phone lines will be available to you for a half hour of open lines. If you want to continue to talk about 9-11, we can certainly entertain those calls. Uh, but just about anything is on the table. Uh, Jim, the uh, the war games, the exercises, able danger, what was able danger? Well, uh, that's not the war game exercises. I mean, it was, but it wasn't on the morning of 9-11. Um, that was... Uh, Able Danger was a group within the Pentagon that had been tracking the terrorists and had been laying out what they were likely to do. And uh, this was a, a year or more before 9-11 that they had figured out that they were liable to use airplanes and, and uh, use them as missiles and crash them into prominent structures. Uh, I might also mention uh, Operation Bojinka, which was uh, a cell of al-Qaeda in the Philippines, which... Uh, oddly enough, was, was connected to uh, the Oklahoma City bombing and to Terry Nichols, who uh, is still serving time for his connection with that. And uh, that uh, there they busted up this al-Qaeda cell, and they found plans for Bojinka, which was to capture airliners and crash them into prominent buildings. So when Condoleezza Rice and, and, and George W. Bush said, oh, well, who would have ever thought that they would have used airplanes that they're dissembling, okay, because they knew. They knew, and as I mentioned earlier in the program, they'd been warned by a dozen countries that we were about to be attacked, and yet not only was nothing done to protect our country, there were actually steps taken. Uh, John O'Neill forced out of his job as uh, terrorism chief at uh, anti-terrorism chief at the FBI and, and uh, um, rally in Arizona where they had FBI agents saying, hey, there's guys down here practicing on airplanes I, I believe i believe they're capable of flying it in something like the world trade center they all this was flowing upwards and at the top not only was nothing done but there were actually steps taken to block any meaningful investigation into what was about to happen all right so then the the war exercises that were going on the morning right. of that is probably the key to understanding what actually happened uh, on 9-11 because, well, like uh, Richard Clark, the uh, counterterrorism chief, uh, when he was, um, um, he wrote his book, and he said that when he called uh, General Myers of NORAD and said, do you have any interceptors in the air? The first thing Myers said was, is this the real world or is this an exercise? Okay. So they had Northern Vigilant, Vigilant Guardian, Vigilant Warrior, Tripod 2. They had um, the NRO was having a, um, an exercise that very morning of a plane crashing into their building. And uh, it, it, so we all know this. Uh, and, and yet here's what's interesting because I was aware of this early on and was trying to tell people that, you know, these war game exercises had uh, caused a lot of the problem. And, uh, and everybody said, well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. That's just an Internet rumor. And that went on for about a year or more until Richard Clark finally came out and admitted, yes, they were having the war game exercises. 
Um, in fact, the uh, one of the NORAD controllers, Lieutenant Colonel Dawn Deeskins, uh, she she when she first heard about the hijackings, her first comment was, "Well, it must be part of the exercise." I also interviewed Sergeant Lauro Chavez of the uh, Central Command who said that after about 30 years in the military, this was the first time they ever had an exercise that they told him had been classified top secret. And that when he showed up that morning, early, early, about 5 in the morning, that they had machine gun emplacements placed on the building and tight, tight security. And they got in there, and they were doing these exercises, and one of them was hijacked airplanes being crashed into the World Trade Center. And he said all of a sudden there was a buzz going on in the command center, and they turned on CNN, and here's the North Tower burning, and the news reports said a plane just crashed in from the North Tower, and their mouths dropped open. And they were asking the obvious question, how in the world could it happen that what we were sitting here practicing has happened in the real world? He also uh, explained how that the FAA was totally thrown off balance because they had placed about two dozen false images he called them inputs on the FAA radar representing hijacked planes. These are false images that showed up on the FAA radar as hijacked planes, and uh, the FAA controllers, they, they couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't. That's how they were able to pull this whole thing off. And, uh, but I, but they then grab this. The FAA controllers were asked to uh, put down their... Uh, recollections of everything that had happened that morning, but a, a higher FAA official uh, destroyed all the tapes. Now, what do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you. I think that's destruction of evidence myself, which makes whoever ordered that an accomplice after the fact. Well, the evidence, the, the testimony of that one individual who talked about the, the war game going on and build, of planes flying into buildings, that may just be the most damning piece of evidence I have heard uh, to do with 9-11, full stop, period. I mean, right. why isn't that out there? Why isn't that known? And how is this <laughs> because, guy allowed to live? Because, Richard, there are five multinational corporations that control everything that we see and hear. They control movies, uh, magazines, book publishing, uh, the TV, satellite, you name it. They control it all, and uh, Project Sensor did a big study and found out that these five corporations have interlocking board members uh, who also interlock with defense contractors like GE and on like that. And they, they, when you've got that kind of control, then you say, no, we're not going to do this. I, I am in touch with still with some journalists, and they, they know, number one, they know better than to try to question the official uh, version number two. If they don't know better and they start digging around and they find some of these stories, uh, then they're quickly uh, told by their bosses that uh, they're not interested in those stories. And if you want to keep your job, maybe you better go do something else. Jim, finally, uh, I mean, I, I was mentioning how we tend to get wrapped up in the forensics, which is what they want us to do. Right. But maybe we should be concentrating more on how do we prevent the next one? How do we? <laughs> well, I'd say put Cheney and Rumsfeld on trial, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, then you can issue subpoenas, and then you can uh, bring in witnesses, and you can cross-examine people under oath. You realize when George W. Bush was deposed by the 9-11 uh, Commission, he would not agree to talk to him unless Dick Cheney was with him, 
okay, I guess to hold his hand or make sure they got their story straight. And they were both interviewed together, and neither one of them was placed under oath. So there was no chance they could say anything they wanted to, and there was no chance that they would be, uh, you know, charged with perjury. That's just, that's insane. We can't, we can't put up with that. There needs to be a trial, and there needs to be cross-examination of evidence and of witnesses. There needs to be subpoenas issued and perjury charges hanging in the air for people that don't want to tell the truth. And then maybe we get to the bottom of everything. And if it turns out that Cheney and Rumsfeld and George W. Bush are all totally innocent, hey, fine. It's okay by me. I'm not, I'm not out to get them. I just want to know the truth because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, this, the chief lawyer of the 9-11 Commission, John Farmer, says that the story we've been given is almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. The amazing thing is, is, is after uh, they supposedly uh, got Osama bin Laden, and I never uh, for a moment believed yes, that did. story. Yes, mm-hmm. in fact. Uh, well, you would think, well, okay, so now it's time to ratchet down, uh, you know, Homeland Security and roll back the Patriot Act and so forth, and that never happens, surprise, surprise. It surprise. never happens. This is why I tried to warn people going into it. We don't, we don't want to rush into the Patriot Act. We don't want to rush into the Military Commissions Act. We don't want to rush into creating a whole new department of the government, the Home Homeland Security, which smacks of the Gestapo, and you know, and because it is now Homeland Security is now you know placed uh, every police department in the United States under its jurisdiction, and has literally dumped millions and millions of dollars in there buying flak jackets and armored cars and all kinds of stuff. And of course, the local cops think this is really cool, but it's creating a a uh, an armed national police, something that the thoughtful Americans uh, have been opposed to all my life, and yet it's happening right before our eyes, and nobody dares say anything because they're so afraid of being labeled as a pro-terrorist, which, you know, that's, of course, is nuts. Uh, you know, the terrorism thing is, is pretty much phony anyway. Uh, 9-11 attacks did happen, but as we've talked about for the last almost Two hours. We we don't really know what truly happened there, and as far as all the other so-called prominent terrorist attacks, the shoe bomber and the underwear bomber. If you peel back the layers and go past the official pronouncements, <coughs> excuse me, you'll find that there was always an FBI informant involved, or some undercover guy. And how do we know that these have not all been set up deals? Um, and, of course, the bald-faced fact is is that we have not, since 9-11, 10 years, and have not had any significant terrorist attack in, in the United States. And, of course, the, uh, the pro-official version people would say, well, that just proves that Bush and Cheney and Homeland Security, they're really doing their job. But you can also look at it from maybe as all a phony to begin with. Well, it is amazing they have this... Uh you know, this porous border uh, with Mexico. And if there was an Al-Qaeda and they were intent on doing serious harm to the United States, they would be pouring Al-Qaeda operatives uh, over that border, over the Rio Grande, uh, you know, with, with C4. And maybe they are. Maybe they are, because there is no border security. Well, that's but just you it. know, that's a very good question, Richard. If, indeed, we're supposed to be so concerned about this international terrorist group trying to infiltrate our country, destroy America, slip weapons of mass destruction into the country. 
how come they have not done one solid thing to secure the border? There you go. There you go. Jim, always a pleasure. Again, the book, The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, Deception 9-11 and the Loss of Liberty. The website, Jim Mars, with two R's, jimmars.com. Always a pleasure. What's next for you, Jim? What are you working on? I've uh, got a new book in the works, but it's a little premature to start saying what that's going to be about. But I guarantee you, you'll be one of the first to know, and we'll talk about it on Richard Serrett's show. My pleasure. Jim, thank you. Okay. Be, Adios. Be well. All right, lines open to you, 416-360-0740 and 866-744-740. Now till we dim the lights and say goodnight, anything you want to talk about. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show here on AM 740. Jennifer, did you see this happen? Hello, Did Jennifer? you just see this happen, Jennifer? Matt, I, I've never seen any, it looks like a movie. I saw a large plane, like a jet, going immediately headed directly into the World Trade Center. It, it, it just flew into it, into the, into the other tower coming from south to north. I watched the plane fly into the World Trade Center. It was a jet, it was a very large plane. It was going south, it went past the Ritz-Carlton Hotel that's being built in Battery Park. It went flew right past and almost hit it, and then went in. The truth is not out there, it's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. I, I've never seen anything like it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center. Obviously now we, we move from what, what appears to have, there it is right there. Again, I'm looking from south to north, that, and it went into the, the one on the right. That appeared to be at least a 727. We saw it a second ago. Here, here comes the videotape that we, we just showed you. You will see what appears to be a large plane. It could be a 727 right there, maybe even bigger, flying right into the side of the World Trade Center. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back, and as I say, we can, uh, we can continue to talk about uh, 9-11, but if there's anything else you would like to discuss, keeping in mind, of course, we talk uh, cover-ups, deep politics, political subterfuge, the paranormal, Supernatural on the program. Uh, 416-360-0740, 866-744-740. Let's begin with Larry in Toronto. Good morning, Larry. Hi, good morning, Richard, and many, many thanks for the wonderful program you put on every Sunday night that keeps me up to about 1 o'clock on a Monday morning. All right, well, I apologize and I thank you at the same time. <laughs> well, I thank you. Anyway, the little question about this 9-11 thing that nobody seems to be talking about at all, and that is there is so much invaluable, accurate, and revealing information from the, well, virtually indestructible black boxes, the flight recorder or the, um, the other recorders. Two questions about this. Where are they? Because we never hear anything about them, those from the jets involved with 911, and also why is there so little, little discussion about them anywhere? 
actually tonight was the first night I heard um, Jim, the host, speak a little bit about the doors for one of the uh, jets concerned with the um, the Pentagon thing. That's the only time I ever heard about black boxes. Could you elaborate? Um. I believe that those the, the black boxes that have been recovered, it's the, you know they're just not releasing the uh, the information. Whether you know as often they do, they claim national security. The same reason they're not releasing most of the the video uh, footage from the security cameras that were found in and around the uh, the Pentagon at gas stations and hotels and and, and so forth. Um, now, according to the 9-11 Commission report, the, the cockpit voice recorders, or the flight data recorders, those are the black boxes, from flights 11 and, and, uh, and 175, okay. uh, they, weren't re- they, they weren't recovered from the remains of the, um, the, the attack. Uh, then, you had these two guys who were working in the wreckage, and uh, they said, that they stated in this book, it was called Behind the Scenes, that they helped federal agents find three of the four black boxes from the jetliners. But, okay. but did they indeed? We don't know for sure. Fair enough. Uh, the black boxes from Flight 77 and 93 were recovered. Um, but um, the one from 77, it seems to me, it was too damaged to, to yield any data. But the ones that were recovered supposedly from, um, from Flights 11 and 175... Uh, we're told on the one hand that they weren't they weren't recovered, and then we have two eyewitnesses who say that they were. They were handed over to the federal federal agents. Um, so anyway, we 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 don't know. I guess it's the short answer. We don't know. We haven't we haven't received any data from the black boxes, and and um, I would say that we're not going to ever. Okay, but definitely, I think whatever information is there is would answer a lot of questions concerning 9-1. There would be t- tremendous amount of information, uh, one would assume, uh, to, be, to be gathered from those flight data recorders. Absolutely. Which I suppose is why we shouldn't be surprised that those aren't available to us. <laughs> okay, well, many thanks. My pleasure. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate well, your calling. Great job, then. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Another good friend of the program, our... Uh, our, uh, our co-host when we delve into uh, UFOs and uh, extraterrestrials, Victor Vigiani, calling in from Mississauga this morning. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Richard. How are you doing there? I'm well, thank you, my friend. How are you? Oh, just fine, just fine. Considering the incredible odds on September 11th, uh, yeah, we're doing okay. <laughs> what's, uh, what's got you uh, stoked this morning? I, I um, have been out most of the evening, but uh, just joined you within the last uh, 15 or 20 minutes. So with listening to the tail end of Jim Mars, who you know you and I both uh, find fascinating, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I would just like to find out, um, and maybe we could just chat just very briefly, about building number seven. This is something that has continued, and I've done a little bit of research on it, and and a little bit of inquiring, and I, I continue to be uh, confounded and confused by the fact that no one ever wants to talk about building number seven and when and how it, it fell down. And I'm wondering, did, did you and Jim cover that earlier? Or uh, he did. It, it was He did briefly. Um, uh, I mean, you're right. Officially, I don't think NIST, the NIST um, um, commission actually put anything in the original report about Building 7. 
Uh, it was several years later that they finally, um, uh, I guess, published their findings. And, I mean, what, what we do know was that it wasn't hit by an aircraft. It didn't suffer. Well, it, here again, it depends on who you talk to. Um, you've got one side saying it didn't suffer massive damage uh, from uh, the destruction of either the, the Twin Towers. There were some small fires that were observed in, in, in different parts of the building prior to its collapse. Most of the fires were barely visible. Uh, we're told that they weren't hot enough to cause even window breakage, at least on the north side mm-hmm. of the tower, which is where you know most of the photos w- were taken before the right. collapse. Uh, and then on the other side, you have people saying, "No, um, you know, we only saw the north side of the building. On the other side of the building, there was, uh, you know, uh, a tremendous, um, uh, basically, rip in the building, the side of the building. There were raging fires, and um, you know, you have the." Uh, that famous uh, scene uh, where the landlord Silverman is, uh, is, is said, you know, we decided to pull the building, and people sort of latched onto that, saying, "Well, what was he talking about? Controlled demolition?" Right. And he later explained, he said, "No, we told the firefighters it was time to get out of Building Seven; it was going to collapse." Uh, at least that's uh, what he said. So you, you have this conflicting information: the fires were not were not hot; they weren't raging, and then you have the others who are saying, "Yes, they were." Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, for most of us, when we look at the way Building 7 came down, it does, it looks like a classic control demolition. And what's mm-hmm. also interesting is when you add up the fact, as Jim Mars said, the CIA had offices there, the FBI, uh, Rudolph Giuliani had a bunker on the 23rd floor. Right. Um, it, is, it, is, it is fascinating. Well, what really perplexes me is that uh, regardless of the arguments for and against how it came down, when it came down, uh, there has been absolutely no uh, discussion about that in the major media. There's been no uh, internal investigations about it that have become public. Uh, nothing that I know of uh, I- I- with respect to mainstream media has any uh, discussion about that at all. And I find that very, very curious, uh, in addition to a lot of other, you know, um, I guess inconsistent inconsistencies with with how the other buildings came down you've got this other building that reported on and and would imagine that it's a large a large structure like that coming down in 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 the, in the city of new york might have been a bit of a news story in addition to uh, the other towers coming down it just it points to the inconsistencies that i think the jim mars uh, discuss with you this evening. Well, of course, then there was the uh, the uh, the BBC, and uh, I believe it was Aaron Brown at the time with CNN, both mm-hmm. uh, standing in, in front of the cameras uh, with the New York skyline behind them, and, and uh, you could still see Building 7 clearly standing, uh, and yet mm-hmm. both the BBC and Aaron Brown were reporting uh, hours before the building collapsed that Building 7 had already collapsed. And so then that led to speculation, well, how did they know? Did someone... Uh, tipped them off that it was going to collapse, or uh, were they supposed to announce that it collapsed, but somehow they 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 spoke too soon? Uh, that was interesting to come from not one source but two: BBC and CNN, both reporting that Building Seven had collapsed hours before it actually had. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it all points to the way the media has been manipulated in, in transferring all this information to the general public, and uh, it just it completely blinds me. How this has all played out, and uh, and what a great job the the powers that be behind the scenes have done in manipulating the story to feed out to the general public a, a, a very specific uh, perception 
and uh, a sequence of events that seems to be have uh, you know bought you know lock, stock, and barrel by the American public, and that's going to be very difficult to um, to circumvent and to and to overcome because the story is already there in the consciousness of the American people, and how does you know, you know how how do you know programs like 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 yours and the things that we talk about? How on earth will those perceptions ever be displaced, or or even questioned by the American public who've been fed a story for so many years now, for, you know, ten years actually? And uh, how will ever the truth come out? Uh, what they're betting on is, uh, you know, that that um, you know our, our our memories dim, our interests wane. Uh, through the passage of time, and in many respects, you know, maybe they've won because here we are. T- you know, we're not going to commemorate. Uh, we're not, uh, uh, you know, uh, the 11th anniversary, the 12th, maybe the 25th. But by the by, by the 25th, uh, again, you know, witnesses will be gone. Um, uh, be, be, and you have a new generation of broadcasters who weren't even around then. Of so, course. you know. As, as, as sad as it is to, to, to say, I, I think they've won. I think yeah. they've won on this it's one. Been a, yeah, almost a perfect scheme, isn't it, Richard? Yes, yes. Just yeah. like just like they 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 got away with the Kennedy assassination. I mean, there's a, you yeah. know there's a sizable percentage of the population. I think the latest poll, something like eighty percent of Americans believe that there was a plot, that there was a cover up. Now that doesn't necessarily mean. Um, you know that the the U.S. government was involved, or that J- Johnson was involved, but they believe that they weren't told the truth. And um, I'm not sure; I haven't tracked the latest poll figures on 9/11, but it's it's somewhere around 45 percent now of Americans uh, believe that uh, there was a cover up in, in, with, with, in 9/11. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to track those numbers uh, over the next five, ten, fifteen years. And on the other hand, though, it do, it almost doesn't matter if 80 percent of Americans believe there was a cover-up and yet still the mainstream, with, with Kennedy, and yet the mainstream media still parrots the same old line. Lone gunman, magic bullet. What does it matter what the public thinks? Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a very convoluted type of uh, transference of information which they call news. And, it, 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 and I, you know, I appreciate and I, I don't want to minimize the, the, the amount of, uh, you know, the, the tributes that have been paid to the people that died, and and all of that today. I mean, you watched any of the the, uh, the major newscasts and documentaries that are going on today, and you, you can't minimize it or criticize it or ridicule it because people died in this. But it it just uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how really uh, um, the whitewash has been so complete, so expertly done by the by the people behind the curtain. That no matter what you say, what you do, no matter what kinds of evidence you present, the sentimentality behind the nationalism and the patriotic um, you know, fervor of the American people that seems to um, that seems to win the day over what really might have happened, or at least opening some type of open di- uh, dialogue or discourse about uh, the possibilities of the American government or agents of the American government uh, doing something dastardly that the American people don't know about. And, um, I mean, you can wave the flag for so long and cover things with the, the stars and stripes, but eventually that has to rot through and, uh, and, and, the, and the truth come out and when that's going to happen.
Well, and this this information control system, we see it played out in all mm-hmm. aspects of society, and, and, and you know full well, uh, covering uh, the UFO disclosure beat for as many years as you have, it's, it's sort of, of a very similar, a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a difficult pill to swallow, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it is. It's just, and, and I, I think, as Jim said earlier, you know, programs like yours at least uh, try to point to the truth and pe- give people an opportunity to entertain possibilities that they haven't uh, that they haven't thought about before. Anyways, I'll let you go. There are probably other callers in the line. We'll talk soon. Good luck and uh, great program this evening. Victor Vigiani, thank you from Zealand uh, Communications and Zealand News Service. Uh, and he'll be back with uh, with us. I think in a couple of weeks, uh, Stephen Bassett will be on the program. Isn't that right, Victor? Is, 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 That's right. We've got him on the 25th, and uh, he's got some very interesting news about some of the projects he's involved with. All right. We'll see you then, Victor. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, do I owe you a break, Griffin, or can I... So let's uh, let's grab another call here. Uh, let's say hello to Ryan. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM740. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. We've spoken before. Um, I just wanted to... Well, you're, uh, Jim was talking about... Um, um, World War II and Pearl Harbor, they knew it was going to happen and they let it happen, okay? And there's a very big contrast between letting it happen and making it happen. So I was going to ask Jim, I, I missed the call, I just wanted to get an opinion from yourself, whether you think 9-11 was made, ha- made to happen or was let happen. And it's very, very big distinction because for the first time ever in the physical world, um, concrete and steel buildings, three of them, collapsed at free fall speeds. The Pentagon had no pictures of planes. The plane disappeared into a liquefied hole and liquefied and disintegrated titanium engines, which has never happened. It's physically impossible. You had molten steel from airplanes at the World Trade Centers, uh, one, two, and seven, molten steel. You've got people picking up thermalite traces on, on the wreckage. So it's a very big difference in let it happen. They knew it was going to happen and stood down to let it happen for whatever reason, probably to allow war to happen with uh, Iraq. But that's a very big distinction between let it happen and made happen. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Um, Ryan, I appreciate the call. I, I don't necessarily see uh, that big uh, a distinction. For, and, 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 and for example, in a criminal case, uh, let's say there is a, uh, a murder committed in a home and you've got the individual who actually, you know, physically walked into the home, uh, shot, pointed the gun and shot the, uh, the bullet that killed uh, the victim lying in his bed. So that's the guy who made it happen. Now, the guy that let it happen, uh, maybe he unlocks the front door. He lets the guy in. He leads him up the stairs. He points to him and says, yeah, that's the one. You see what I'm saying? Let it happen. Make it happen. Now, that guy is going to jail for a very long time, too. So uh, in this case, in 9-11, it could have been something like that. They, they got wind of a plot. They ordered stand downs. They basically opened the door and they said, yeah, that's the building there. Uh, and by the way, we'll also provide some cover. We'll uh, we'll run some uh, some drills and some exercises that will really confuse the FAA and uh, even uh, the, you know the air traffic controllers at NORAD and so forth. 
that's sort of let it happen, but also kind of make it happen. So it, then the lines get kind of blurred, if you see what I'm saying. It's kind of blurred, but there's a, you know, it takes weeks and sometimes months to rig a building to be, uh, to have explosives that'll take it down in free fall speeds, uh, like a controlled demolition. And you're talking about a, a co, uh, co-effort or a, a double effort, uh, of two, of two people doing the, the murder, not one person letting it happen, but one person actually making it happen in one way and one person making it happen in another way. And, I'm, and it's a very, very disturbing thing for the American psyche to have the thought that people or a, a level or some component of their government not only let it happen, but made it happen in the name of going to war with Afghanistan and uh, sorry, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Yes, if if uh, <laughs> if it was in fact controlled demolition, then you're right. I mean, then obviously that takes a far more active role. It would take uh, weeks, months, maybe even more uh, to rig a building like that. Or uh, you could, or you had a guest on Ju- Dr. Judy um, Judy Wood, yes, Judy Wood, that basically said it wasn't, it didn't even need to be. A controlled demolition because there was a energy weapon that was used to that's powder right. the building. That's right. Also received an email from um, someone who chose to remain anonymous, former U.S. military, who said he had it on good authority. There were nuclear, small nuclear charges that were used. And again, I come back to the point about you know sometimes we get so wrapped up in the forensics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is, I, I tend to look at this in the sort of the broad sweep of history. Is there a pattern here of a governments targeting their own civilians? Um, uh, not only in the United States, but elsewhere. And of course, the answer is an overwhelming yes. Uh, even here in, in Canada, a uh, very dark chapter back in the 1950s, the CIA, they were running um, experiments out of McGill, uh, uh, McGill University and Allen Memorial Hospital. They allowed the CIA uh, to come in and, and um, basically uh, administer massive doses of LSD to unsuspecting uh, women who were probably suffering from something like postpartum depression. They basically had their, their memories wiped clean. Now, this isn't a conspiracy theory. These cases um, uh, were won in civil trials. Um, you know, money was awarded. And the Canadian government at that time, they were complicit. So there is a history of governments targeting their own people. If you want to go to the U.S. Uh, and the Tuskegee, uh, syphilis experiments, and and recently it came to light that, that the CIA were um, uh, were involved in in, in um, you know hundreds of Guatemalans contracted syphilis and gonorrhea. Uh, some of those people died. Oh, that yeah, was done. That, yeah. yeah. So this goes uh, you know on and on it goes. They have um, op, uh, Operation Northwoods, where if it weren't for Robert McNamara, Kennedy's defense secretary, saying no, we're not going to do this. The U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff had drafted a program. Uh, they wanted to galvanize U.S. Uh, support for a war against Cuba. They were going to do the same thing, a false, uh, a false terror attack and when, blame when, the Cubans. When do you think the majority of people are going to wake up? Ah, I think the majority of us have, uh, but some of us sort of we know and we choose not to act because... It's just too distressing. It's. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we have woken up. I've I've talked to a lot of people and I said, hey, basically 9/11 was an inside job, and they look at me like, I, what are you talking about? Terrorists flew into the planes. The planes went down because of those because of terrorists flew it in, and uh, that's the story. And 
That's it. I don't think the majority have woken up. I think it's a, a very small um, minority of people that actually think that anything but the official story is where it's at. Well, maybe you're right about 9-11. I think just in general, this, this, this idea that you can't, you know, we can no longer just give carte blanche to the institutions and, and authority and that uh, we trust them. Uh, and again, that started with the Kennedy assassination. I mentioned about 80% of Americans now believe it was a cover-up. So that's, that's, a, hu- that's a majority. That's a huge majority that, that now, that now uh, uh, believes that it was a cover-up. And um, uh, it's, a, it's close to 50% on, on 9-11. It's around 45%, I think. So if 45% of Americans believe something's off. With 9/11, is that what we're saying? Yes, yes. So uh, people uh, at a certain level, they've they've woken up, uh, and but it's a big jump to go from acknowledging it to yourself in your in you know in your darkest hour, sort of conceding, yes, that's true, and then it's another thing to go around publicly proclaiming it, or to even admitting it out loud, uh, because it's you know it's a horrible thing to contemplate. Our, you know, we can't trust these people that are charged with our own, you know, with protecting us. We can't trust them anymore. That's a horrible thing uh, to have to, to live with. And uh, so most people, I think, they compartmentalize their lives. They're I willing think, to, to admit yeah, it sort of I silently. Right. I think that the advantage to people living under communism are that they always knew all along that they were being lied to and that it was, their propaganda was a bunch of BS. So when it came time, when it came time to overthrow them, they don't have any problem acknowledging that they're lies. When you're told that you're the biggest democracy, that freedom, democracy, uh, open markets, and all the other crap that you're fed, then it's a very big stretch to say, hey, wait a second, none of this is really true. Excellent point, Ryan, and I thank you for the call. Thanks a lot. All right. Keep up uh, the fight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ian is in Port McNichol. Good morning, Ian. Hi, Richard. Um, Where is Port McNichol? Port McNichol is about um, five kilometers east of Midland, which is north of Barrie. Ah, so you're on Lake Huron. Uh, no, I'm on Georgian Bay, actually. Georgian Bay, oh, okay. Georgian Bay. All right. Yeah. Anyways, Richard, thanks for squeezing me in here. This is a few minutes left in your show. Um, my question is, for those of us who, or the few of us, actually, who have the courage and the integrity to be truth seekers, right, um, why is there no... Um, organization or even so much as something like a support group because I often quite feel I'm quite terrorized actually by everything I know well why is there no organization or why the ones that are out there uh, say we are changed I've tried to contact them and they never get back to me uh, well that's odd that they wouldn't get back to you I don't know I, I quite frankly I don't sort of um, I, I, I mean, I, I have the, these various groups, uh, representatives from these groups on the show from time to time. I don't belong to these groups. I don't consider myself to be a 9-11 truther. I'm just, I've never been a joiner. Uh, and one of the things that I've found is, you know, there's that old saying that sometimes the, the slave becomes the tyrant. And for quite a while, of course, anyone who, who questioned the official version uh, was ridiculed and ostracized and marginalized and treated quite poorly. Um, but what happens, and it's just human nature, I've, I'm finding more and more that some elements of some of these groups are now becoming, again, the slave becomes the tyrant. Now they're doing exactly to those people that believe in the official version 
the thing that I find most distasteful, and that's they're ridiculing them and ostracizing them and, and uh, hectoring them and, and, and so forth. So I just I find that the 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 the, the level of debate and the people that you know I'm, uh, that belong to some of these groups, I don't want to be associated with them. I mean, I, their message I think is 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 good. Uh, I support the pursuance of uh, the, or the pursuit of truth, obviously. Um, you know, I don't think you need to belong to a group. Well, Just, I would certainly like to meet other people, because up here I'm kind of like the lone conspiracy theorist here in Port McNichol. I've been driving around for the last seven years with, you know, like several stickers on my truck that says 9-11 was an inside job, and, you know, and I used to have uh, things out in front of my house, like signs and a display every September 11th, and I, I'm not, I don't care what people think about me. I, I look at the preponderance of evidence, and I've come to a conclusion like and how are you treated when you're posting your signs and slapping on your bumper stickers and so forth? Um, well, I had the police show up at my house one day. <laughs> um, just to, uh, They were saying I was uh, uh, handing out uh, uh, something to school children, you know, but uh, I just had a display set up and I had things out on a table, like little, you know, pieces of information you could take with you that had websites on them and things like that to try to educate people. Right. But um, Interesting. But well, I'm sure, like I'm ridiculed behind my back, but I like I don't care. I I'm a truth seeker, and I mean the preponderance of evidence is is quite it's painfully obvious. Well, there are I mean if you if you are uh, insistent in belonging to a group, there are there are lots of them out there. I would just say you know be persistent, and uh, and someone will get back to you. Um, the other thing is, you know, just to sort of go your own way and, and engage people, but in a different way rather than, you know, maybe um, uh, putting uh, brochures in their face. Just gently ask them questions, you know, that get get them to think along the same lines. It's it's uh, um, it's a more gentle a gentle approach, and you might win over more people to your way of thinking. At least get them thinking for themselves. Encourage them to think for themselves. But just get them, just ask them questions like, well, why do you suppose we have the homeland security in the U.S., but on the other hand, they have a virtual open border with Mexico where al-Qaeda could just, you know, come in willy-nilly at will almost. And um, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, you know, isn't it interesting that Barbara Olson... Uh, supposedly made that cell phone call to her husband, Ted, the Solicitor General, and yet the FBI found that there was no cell phone call made. Is, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, well, that's, I know, there's lots of questions that you can ask people and stuff like that, but, you know, at the end of the day here, and at the end of your program almost, uh, I think what's holding most people back is fear, basically. I think it's fear that stopped people from you know, wanting to start some kind of organization. It's not so much about, like, forming an, or- an organization with the intent of trying to do something about it. That would be a lot further down the road. The first thing is just to try to meet new people and, and to try to help one another cope with what we're going through, because I, I feel quite isolated and lonely up here, and... You know, I'm having a real struggle, and I would like to meet other people that are having a struggle with it as well. Um, well, Ian, get online, and, and I, I wish you the best of luck with that. But don't feel alone. And the other thing is don't despair. Uh, don't define your life uh, by this. Go out, plant a garden, help your neighbor, uh, you know, take the dog for a walk, uh, get out, enjoy your life. Because if you don't, if you despair, if you cut yourself off, uh, then you've really lost. So 
Uh, I wish you the best, and thanks for calling, and uh, you've got a friend on the program, so call any time. All right, my thanks to Griffin March. Uh, back next week, as I say, with Dr. Colin Ross, Military Mind Control, a story of trauma and survival. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.